This is The Anatomy of Eloquence, a podcast that dissects the innermost workings of great communication. I'm your host, Nick, communication strategist, brand theorist, and resident didactic. For the last decade, I've been helping startups and CEOs reshape their communication with the world. I'm Andrew Yang, not the former presidential candidate, but I was a former presidential speechwriter. And for the past 10 years, I've worked with national leaders, public company CEOs, and startup founders on their communication. Good day, everybody. This is the second episode of The Anatomy of Eloquence. Today, I want to start by talking about something that's been hot in the press. So, Nick, you've been spending quite a bit of time on Clubhouse. How, how do you feel about it? A lot of my time is spent trying to find high-quality conversations. Occasionally, I'm quite successful, but more often than not, people are still trying to figure out their legs on how to run a room. But it's definitely been an interesting experiment yeah, so far. Yeah, definitely. All right. So Clubhouse has enabled basically an explosion of audio conversations. And that explosions, fortunately and unfortunately, actually, there's it's neither. It's just normal. An explosion in both low-quality conversations, but also high-quality conversations. It's definitely in its infancy and kind of finding its legs, but you can see in areas like the U.S. where it's been open for longer that people are starting to figure out formats that really create high-quality conversation. Mm, Right. But all of this, I think, begs a question that has a lot of people curious, which is why did Clubhouse explode at this moment? I mean, this is not a new idea. So why did it suddenly go global and capture everybody's imagination at this moment? Right. There's nothing fundamentally innovative about having conversations online, but it seems to have taken a whole new life, especially within the last few months. And it becomes a very interesting deep dive to see why that's happening. Yeah. And and this, in fact, addresses a question that investors spend a lot of time thinking about. But strangely, not a lot of entrepreneurs talk about. And this goes back, I think, to uh, something that we saw, which was we, m- we must give credit where credit is due. There's this talk online. Uh, the talk, you can go and look it up on YouTube. It's called The Five Mistakes Entrepreneurs Make When Pitching, something like that. And it's by Brendan Baker, who is now a partner at Ridge Ventures in the U.S. And uh, he he introduced this uh, concept called different levels of thinking. So if you imagine three different levels of thinking, at the bottom level is the everyday execution. It's what you do as an entrepreneur every single day, like hiring people, firing people, uh, keeping up uh, your finances. Just the basic daily tasks that entrepreneurs get bogged down by most often. It's your focus on a daily basis, yeah. Yeah. In the second level, the middle level is the company vision, what the company would like to achieve by existing, right? By working on this. And the, the level above that is the larger trends. What is happening in the world and what is changing? So three levels, right? Brandon has found that a lot of founders, they stay at the daily execution just because that's what they do. They're obsessed with daily execution. And so when they get into a room with investors, oftentimes they just focus on that. Whereas investors actually spend the most time thinking about how the world is changing and what opportunities, what gaps 
have opened up because of these changes. And this creates a gap because right, investors thinking at the at the broader like industry and global trends level, but founders are thinking about the daily execution level. And this, as uh, Nick, you have seen as well, creates problems in right. their communication. Because you have people who, as you described, live in two different worlds. And Brendan Baker goes all the way to say, it's not about one is better than the other. It's just that you're speaking two different languages because you also have a different access to information. Investors sit and listen to pitches all day, talk to industry experts all day. They're getting a huge breadth of information and looking at how the world is changing. Entrepreneurs are either at that execution level or they're talking to customers, they're talking to like-minded people, they're talking to other people in their specific vertical and going deep. So the type of information they have is also different than investors. If you would like to close your communication gap and build a stronger connection with the investor that you're talking to. Think about how to adjust your communication and things that you talk about away from daily execution and more to what is happening in the larger industry and and even in the larger world. This comes back to another point that Brendan Baker had made where he said investors, good investors, like to be educated. They don't like to be talked down to or condescended, but again, their life is in learning about what's changing in the world. What's the next big thing? What's shifting? And so a founder that can walk in and go, you, I know you've heard about this topic. You've probably heard people talk about it, but let me tell you what's really going on, or let me tell you something you missed, or let me flip around your thinking. This is just really intriguing to investors, where someone can just walk in and very succinctly and concretely go, here's what you know, but here's what you don't know, and why it's so interesting or so critical to what the future holds. A lot of times when we're talking to founders, we start to build around this idea that within your speech, you need to find a way to educate the investors. Not that they don't get it, but that there's something really intriguing or really fascinating about what you're doing, and it will affect how they think about the future or how they think about the future of an industry. And we've broken it down into a few storylines that founders can use to start to describe what's this shift and really why now is the time for their company to exist or why now is the time to grab an opportunity. And Andrew, you started by talking about Clubhouse at the beginning. And Clubhouse is a great example of the first type of our trend. Could you elaborate a little bit more about how Clubhouse fits into the evolution of an industry? Yeah, definitely. As you mentioned, the the first storyline, or as we like to call them, anatomy, since mm-hmm. our podcast is called <laughs> The Anatomy of Eloquence, we look at exactly what people say, the structure of it, and the order of it, right? So the first anatomy, if we might call it, is stages of evolution. So if you look at Clubhouse, and I was thinking about the question of why Clubhouse is exploding at this moment, right? And I read, as usual, uh, the most insightful thing came from Ben Thompson, who writes the Stratechery. He says that even <laughs> his wife cannot pronounce it. The Stratechery blog, a newsletter. And he says, Clubhouse is actually inevitable if you look at the evolution of technology. And he 
So here are the stages. Okay, if you look at text publishing, we went from newspapers, magazines first to blogs online, and then to Twitter. And Twitter is basically just a, a stream of thoughts. And if you look at images, photos, it went from physical photo albums to online albums, and then to Instagram, which is almost a stream of photos. And if you if you look at video, it went through the same thing. If you take that approach and look at what's happening with Clubhouse, audio went from traditional radio and like cassettes, for example, to podcasts, and then to Clubhouse, which is streams of audio. Right, it's almost dreams of people's thoughts、yeah. in real time. So again, the idea on the surface doesn't seem that revolutionary. Like, oh, great, we have a place that you can go in and listen to people talk. But it's that evolution that、That's、we、right. went from, you know, one or two radio host announcers into podcasts where anyone can do that to now anyone can create a room and have a conversation in real time. Yeah, that's right. That's right, and so the anatomy of this is you explaining to investors from a historical point of view that our industry went through these stages, and this next stage is what I'm working on, and this stage is inevitable, it's unavoidable, it's going to come. Then at that point, I mean, think about how how powerful that is, right? You're talking about from a historical evolution perspective, what、right. I do is inevitable. Just think for a moment how how powerful that is. Of course, it has to be convincing. It has to be. You have to be able to back. Yeah, exactly. It has to. Be, you have to believe it, right? But the next thing the investor has to has to decide is if you're the person and you're the team that's going to do it. But if you're convincing enough, it almost sometimes it, it shifts their worldview,、mm -hmm. and they're like, "Ah,、oh, okay, I think I can get on board with this. That this is the the next thing that's going to happen." Right.、Yeah. But now. Clubhouse. What we just went through, like giving example of stages of evolution in text, and then in images, and then video, and then audio. That's hard to do. Most founders that we know can can talk, and this is enough to talk about stages of evolution in a single industry.、Mm. If you can do two industries or even three industries, and say, look at look at this, it's happening in multiple industries. Right. There's parallels to what、yeah. I'm talking. But、about. that's that's the master level. That's the advanced level, but you do often see that in technology companies who are pressing upon the idea of on-demand, right? Where on-demand has been an evolution in multiple industries. On-demand TV. We went from Netflix sending us DVDs in the mail to now streaming, and now food is. I used to go pick up my food or I call a restaurant. Now on-demand is. Uber Eats or DoorDash、right. or these other services, and so people showing that okay, my industry is now prepped for the on-demand world、right. that everyone else already has. Yeah, definitely, and that's what makes、uh, that pitch that we saw, and you can look it up on YouTube. It's called、uh, Alfred. It's the Butler of Batman, Alfred, and、yeah. if you can find the the pitch by Alfred, they're talking about concierge service, and they say. The evolution to on-demand. We're looking at the next step, which is automatic. Right. So now we're at an even higher level. Yeah, exactly. Of so evolution. Yeah. We talk about this is how investors think, and firsthand, Andrew and I have listened to an investor lay out 
the thought process, actually the investor that encouraged us to get our business going, who is very well respected in the med tech industry, where when he was describing what the future of medical digitization is, this is the exact path where he said the initial start of digitization in the medical industry was the lowest hanging fruit, which is just to scan text documents, be able to put them into a machine and AI can read them, look at things. But it's the simplest because it requires the least amount of computing power and the least amount of storage. And he said, the next thing that happened was we moved into the digitization of medical images. We have all these CAT scans and MRIs and a plethora of images, but it took a while because it takes higher computer powering to create better quality medical AI and images just require more storage. And he says, so the next thing that he's looking for is medical sound. It's the last frontier because it's the most difficult to process and develop AIs out of, and sound files are going to take the most storage. So he just laid out evolution. We went from text to images, and now medical sound is the next big frontier that he's looking for those breakthrough companies. Isn't that, by, by the way, looking, looking at this, isn't that kind of funny? Because all the examples in the clubhouse, the stages of evolution, text happened first, and then images, and, but audio came last. Yeah. And then medical is the same thing. Audio came is the latest. And I think it's also because it's harder. Like a lot of times for your early audio, the first thing that they do is they transcribe all the audio into text because it's a lot easier for computers to process text. When you get into audio, now you have tonal differences. Mm. You have slight nuances that make it infinitely more complicated than just text. Mm. And with video, it's still a visual thing. Like I can see it. I can teach a computer. But audio just seems to be that lost frontier. Yeah. And whether it's, yeah, something tacky, just like Clubhouse, all the way to medical, this seems to be an evolution of what's going on. And I've recently Spotify's founder gave an interview where he talks about he still believes sound now that's self-serving because it's spotify but he still believes sound is going to be the continuing industry that's going to evolve yeah it's the one that's going to change and really has the most room for growth hmm. so the second anatomy is called everything is falling into place <laughs> so here your goal is is to give investor a sense that Everything that's required for your success is falling into place one by one. And that's what makes now the right historical moment to do this. And the, the most well-known example uh, that we found was when Sequoia Capital invested in YouTube. The memo that they wrote, because I, I think later on it was part of a, a court case. Right, and so they had to. It was actually to part yeah. of an antitrust court case, <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> and they had to. So they had to disclose this to the delight of everyone, right? And so if you simply go Google uh, Sequoia YouTube memo, you're, you're going to find this. And what's interesting about looking at the at the start of it is how how Sequoia and uh, Rulof Botha at, at that time very succinctly summed up why he thought investing in YouTube was the right move for, for Sequoia. And the way he explained it was 
it, it, it was literally like three lines. It was like, because user behavior has changed. You know, people are now used to, at that time, people became used to sharing content online. Like they have been writing blogs, they have been sharing photos, they were used to sharing. And the next of it was, was video, right? Video was, was still to come. And second, people needed high quality mobile recording devices, which they had. Video cameras were becoming really small. Yeah, you can and, buy like a Sony digital camera, video camera yeah. for like less than a hundred bucks. Yeah, exactly. Right? But even better than that was smartphones were becoming perfect recording devices. So you had the hardware as well. So the first one was user behavior, right? People used to sharing content. Second, mm-hmm. the devices. And the third, internet speed was finally fast enough for people to share and oh, for people to upload videos really fast. Right. And even for people to watch these videos online in, in real time. And this becomes interesting because YouTube is not the, f- and even the founders of YouTube have talked about, they're not the first person to come up with this idea. What they did was not necessarily new, but the timing of everything matched up means they were going to succeed where their predecessors didn't. And the internet speed was a big part of that. When we moved from dial-up to broadband, the ability to just consistently stream became a game changer. I'm sure you also remember sitting there and downloading a video, walking away, oh, making dinner, and like 20 minutes come back actually, and you've got, you know, part of it. Actually, I'm old enough to remember when I wanted to download a photo of an NBA player that I really liked and I had to walk away to get coffee to come back for the photo to load. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Good old dialogue. Yeah. And so the, the anatomy, if we look at the an- anatomy of how to talk about that, Here's something that you can do. You can say, in order for our company to succeed, several things have to be true. And then you can list them out. Technology, software, and hardware. Are those things in place? And you can look at user behavior. Our technology is great, but our users, and you can post that question like in, in real time to investors. Right. Like We ask ourselves, has user behavior caught up? Like, Are mm-hmm. users really ready for our service? And the third one, if you want to add more, you can think about things like regulation. Are the regulatory pieces in place? Maybe you can say, oh, with the change to GDPR, this means this is the right time to build our company. And you can think about um, other elements. And then after you have listed the required elements for your success, then you go one by one. These things are falling into place now. And this means that we have to do this now and not another time. And something, something actually funny happens if you do that as well, which is if you list things out, it may, you may also realize that this is not the right time mm. <laughs> to do your company. No, seriously, like maybe the market is not ready. Mm. But also as, as a founder, you have to be, you have to stay true to yourself and stay true to, you know, honest to, to what that is. And so from a thinking perspective, that might help you as well. But if you find that things are falling into place, then that becomes very powerful when you're talking to investors. What I think also makes this anatomy particularly salient is that a lot of founders are struggling when they're trying to think about how do I describe what I'm doing to be revolutionary, to be so ridiculously innovative that it's the best thing in the world, and they're getting pushed back on that a lot. 
what this anatomy allows you to do is you don't have to stand there and go like, this is the greatest revolutionary thing. What you can start to describe is this is the right time, right? Maybe people have tried it before. Maybe people are trying it now. But all, like you said, these things had to fall in place. I had to find, you know, I had to have the right time. Or in the case of like medical devices, maybe the right regulatory shift has to happen. The FDA opened up a new status for de novo products. So now you can think about why all these pieces to come together. So this is the moment. Mm. When you look at podcasts, recently the news has been blowing up about Spotify buying up different podcasting companies, podcasting group, exclusive podcasters. But podcasting goes back to the iPod. This is like a 10 or 15 year old industry. So why is it suddenly blowing up? It's because certain things have fallen into place. Mm. Certain shifts have occurred that means this is the time that all the merger and acquisitions are coming not 10 years ago not 15 years ago right and that also going back to what we talked about at the beginning clubhouse right you can also argue clubhouse from this perspective that this is the right moment in history because audio has exploded right and so if you have recorded audio then people are naturally looking for the next one which is spontaneous like real-time stream of thoughts audio. And also, if you think about it, the devices, the hardware component, like AirPods, and with other, uh, because I, I do know that there are much better devices than AirPods now, but AirPods like earphones. But just the prevalence that everyone has wireless with decent quality right. microphones. Yeah, and that you can turn on and off very, very fast, and you can go anywhere. So hardware is there. But also another thing is COVID. Yeah. Because with COVID, people are not looking for spontaneity. They're looking for those spontaneous interactions that they used to have in the office or in social occasions where a lot of people cannot do that now. Well, you're also hitting on that. Right. People are looking for a social outlet. Yeah. Clubhouse is fulfilling a need that two years ago, maybe people didn't think they need. I can go to a bar. I can go out with my friends. I can have dinner. I can do any number of things that fulfills that social need. Yeah. But if I'm quarantining, if I'm social distancing, I have to find a social outlet. Well, here you go. Yeah. And this actually, the, the last thing, these two things, the hardware piece, AirPods, and the spontaneity thing due to COVID, is in fact things that Clubhouse's investors have talked about when they wrote about why they invested in Clubhouse. Hmm. Very powerful. So let's take one more jump to the last anatomy. And the last anatomy becomes interesting because it actually means you need to talk about someone else's company. Maybe it's a competitor, maybe it's a predecessor, maybe it's just something someone else did And you're not describing necessarily your company, but you want to describe how someone changed the game. And we usually call this anatomy the big shift. And what this anatomy looks like is you describe a moment in your industry or you describe a moment in the world where the way we do things drastically changed because of some big player or some big event. We just talked about the last one in the previous anatomy, but COVID. When you look at the pitch of many recent companies who have built their company post-COVID, that's usually the description. Pre-COVID, this is what we did, but then COVID changed all these things, and this is what we do now. 
Now, it's not good enough to just say COVID changed everything. You need to describe in detail what user behavior shifted. So in the case of Clubhouse, it became easy. Before, we got our social interaction by going out, seeing our friends, going to networking events, and being in person. COVID made it so that that's really not a possibility. So Clubhouse came out of the need to fulfill that social interaction, but in a way that allows us to be COVID safe. This happens over and over again. Shopify is another one. Every business, big to small, should be able to produce its own online store. And because Shopify took off, now you have industries that didn't exist before. You have marketing services, analytics services, AI services, completely built around how to analyze your own online store. Shopify also democratized a lot of other things like now online courses. Before, you went to Udemy, Coursera, some huge online course database until you have Teachable, who looked at Shopify's model and said, no, every teacher should be able to have their own <laughs> online class backend that should be simple and easy to use. And you really find that someone's idea shifts how we do everything else. Yeah, once you open your, your mind to that idea and you look around, you realize that it's all around you, right? Mm. For example, like if you go back even earlier, iPhone did that for a lot of people. Yeah. Like suddenly apps just exploded as, as an economy. Mm. Right? And if you look at what Uber did, that's also potentially, well, not potentially, it is a game changer, <laughs> right? Airbnb is another one. Yeah. And AWS literally changed the startup, the whole like startup ecosystem. Because suddenly it becomes so much easier to launch. Where these key players or key moments, everything before that moment looked like this. And then you describe that moment and everything after that moment. Yeah. So that becomes your basic anatomy where you just say the landscape or the world used to look like this. And then a big shift or a big player changed things. And now it's a new world. This has created new opportunities. So it's a quick one, two, three step. Yeah. And the big shift can also be, let's say, regulatory changes. Mm. Right? So for example, if you, if you look up Zenefit's uh, pitch video to Y Combinator, which is, these are awesome videos because they're like two minutes, mm. even though people go like ridiculously over time sometimes, <laughs> but they're still pretty entertaining and they're like no slides whatsoever. It's just the founder in a like super low quality videotape. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you can find them on YouTube. And the, the founder of Zenefits uh, talked about regulatory changes, which is the US uh, new health insurance law mm. introduced by Obama, uh, which they call Obamacare. And what happened there was one of the consequences of, of, that, of that law was it was going to cut the commission that insurance brokers made from serving companies so that actually economically it became almost it, it almost didn't make sense anymore for them to serve really small companies mm. and so potentially a lot of small companies were going to lose their insurance services in came zenefits because zenefits was exactly going to serve to do insurance for small and medium-sized enterprises mm. so it's like this legal change is also going to change everything it's going to change the landscape and to our benefit. And that's what makes now the right historical moment for us to do this. Right. And you're almost claiming like a first mover 
benefit to say now's the right moment and i'm the person who got started on it right yeah. away or i'm yeah. the person who's jumping on this yeah so because let's go by by being able to see this you're almost ahead of everyone else right i see what's coming right so i'm getting on it let's quickly recap the three different anatomies right the first one that we talk about was stages of evolution if you can explain from a, a historical level how an industry or even multiple industries are evolving it becomes a very powerful argument to the investor that you're working on the next stage of this evolution and it's going to come regardless of what anyone thinks the second anatomy is everything is falling into place so you list all the elements that are required for your success like is the user behavior ready for us is the software and hardware components in place and is are there larger trends for example regulatory changes that are falling into place and and then you say yes these things are falling into place and that makes now the perfect moment to do this and the third one big shift happening maybe a large player in your I know I almost pronounced that as big shit <laughs> happening right but sometimes hey sometimes it literally is big shit happening yeah. like GDPR like yeah. yeah GDPR a lot of companies go like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> so big shit uh, sorry big shift happening such as Spotify changing the landscape hmm. and that has opened up all kinds of opportunities or problems for you to solve three anatomies so we hope that the next time that you're going into an investor meeting, you consider how do I think on their level? How do I speak their language? Which means how's the world changing and how am I going to be a part of that? We hope that you guys enjoyed this episode of The Anatomy of Eloquence and we'll see you guys next time. See ya.